Let's pray. Father, what wonderful truths that song contains and reminds us that if we have your smile, all is well for us. Lord, we thank you that we do have that because of Christ. We thank you that our standing before you at this point is as secure as ever because Christ is unchanged. And Lord, we delight in that truth. And we ask, Father, that you would help us as we come together underneath your word. Lord, that you would give us insight into it. Father, that we would see wonderful things this morning that we perhaps haven't noticed before. And Lord, that you would do a work in us. Fill us with courage. Fill us with strength and vitality as we face uh, challenges, Lord, that we don't even know to anticipate this year. Lord, would you help us? Help us to hear your word, submit to it, and respond appropriately. And Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And this morning we'll continue our study of this very practical section of Scripture. Again, we're taking a a brief break from the Gospel of Mark, and this started out as a a study that I wanted to do uh, as a New Year's study, and it's turned out to be uh, part two, and it will be part three uh, next week. Uh, There is just so much here, and I have found my own heart strengthened as I've thought about these things, and so selfishly, I just want to camp here for a little bit longer. Uh, But Lord willing, uh, next week we'll cover verse 7, and I don't imagine there'll be a part 4, but who knows. But in this letter, I'll remind you, what Paul is doing is he has as his aim to strengthen Timothy. And Timothy, you'll remember, has been serving tirelessly at a church that was uh, very much out of order. Uh, Apparently, while the men in the church were busy fighting each other, Uh, They were distracted, and false teachers had risen up and were leading people astray. And at the same time, while the men were fighting, the women in the church stood up and said, okay, well, if they're going to fight, we'll start leading. And Timothy had the responsibility to come in and, and put things back into order. He needed to step in and rebuke the false teachers, bring peace and restoration to the men and allow the women to go back to the work that God had given them to do. This wasn't an easy job. You can imagine the complexities there in Ephesus. And as Timothy labored away, somewhere along the way, he began to grow weary. And the push and the pull of ministry was wearying Timothy. And Paul, who was Timothy's spiritual father, became aware of Timothy's decline. And Paul was, of course, concerned. Paul himself was about to face death. And the fact that Timothy was weakening spiritually was a great concern to Paul. And so he wrote to Timothy in order to strengthen him and to encourage him not to give up, but to press on so that Timothy's ministry would continue long after the Apostle Paul had gone. And to accomplish this, we saw last week that Paul gave Timothy four directives Four commands, four instructions in chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. And these four directives were designed to restore Timothy's spiritual vitality and to help him overcome 
his spiritual weakness. As we saw last week, these directives are immediately relevant to us. We grow weary, we decline, we need uh, to be revitalized, revived, restrengthened. And so we find here uh, instructions and commands that are easily applicable to us. Now we've decided to spend, I just told you, a few Sundays, and it will be one more Sunday, on this section because our church is coming out of a season of sort of an upheaval, uh, maybe an understatement. Our church is coming out of a season where we've all been working very hard because in God's providence, we have been shuffled up a bit, and that has required all of us to be engaged in ways that perhaps we weren't engaged before. Now, that was our, our plan as a church. Our ministry philosophy was to shake things up every five years or so. Right, to send 80 people or so off to go plant a new church. That was our ministry philosophy. You know, but God had a, a different plan for us, and here we are. And many of you have worked tirelessly over the past four or five months. Not to mention you have responsibilities of ministry within your own home, challenges at work, chronic illnesses that you're struggling with, loss of loved ones. In just all the various trials that we experience in the world, all of this can begin to take its toll on us after a while. And if we're not diligent to watch over our souls, then we can look up and find ourselves spiritually dry, spiritually cold, thinking, how in the world did I get here? And I, I as your pastor, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. I, I, I hope that you will find in the Word of God the strength, energy, and the source of hope that you need. And if you're here this morning and you're exhausted, you're tired, you've been working so hard, I want to help you from this passage get back on your feet. If you're here and you're running your race well and you're thinking, what are they talking about, all this upheaval, difficult stuff? Well, I want to help you keep running well. Right, so you stay strengthened as you face whatever difficulties the Lord might have for you this year. And this text really does that for us. 2 Timothy 2, 1-7, it's, it's, it's full of practical helps for us. And so last week we started our study and we looked at the first two directives for spiritual vitality. The first being, draw your strength from God's grace or be strengthened by grace. And then the second directive was prioritize obedience. And this morning we'll pick back up in the text and look at the third directive, which I've called have the right expectations. Have the right expectations. And I think that expression of the point will become clear for you as we work through the text. All right. So if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life 
so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You may be seated. So four directives for spiritual vitality. The third directive is to have the right expectations. You're aware of the power of expectation. And Paul here wants to set Timothy's expectations aright, to make sure they're lining up with reality. So look with me at verse 3. Paul says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The command here is to suffer hardship. And in Greek, this is one long, very long, compound sentence that consists of three words mashed into one big word. We can't do that in English, but you could do it in Greek. You could do it in German as well. And this is what we have here. Three words compacted into one. And I just want to tease out each one of these words. I think it will help us understand the directive. First, the first word means to experience. It's the word pasco, which means to experience. It can be either to experience something good or bad. But when it's in the context of a negative experience, it's often translated as suffer. Which is why some translations say suffer hardship or endure hardship. Because the word means to experience. Experience hardship. When you experience hardship, we call that suffering. That's the first word. Second word is the word bad or unpleasant. All right, so the first two words come together to, to mean something like experience difficulty or unpleasantness. Experience difficulty or unpleasantness. Experience something hard. All right, that's the directive. But there's a third word, and that is the word with or together. But interestingly, there's no object to the word with here. So literally, it's suffer with me, or it could be suffer with us. In Greek, it is endure hardship with. Endure hardship with. With who? Well, with me or with us. That's why the ESV says share in suffering or share in hardship because there is no object. It could be endure that with me, Timothy, Paul is saying, Join me, endure this suffering with me. And I think that's probably the initial take we should have. He's saying, Timothy, join me in my suffering. But then, as we'll see, as Paul moves on, he broadens out the object of this verb to encompass the normal expectations and experiences of every Christian. So yes, it's endure hardship with me, Timothy, Paul is saying, but also understand that... Everyone is enduring difficulties. We're all facing hardships, Timothy. None of us have an easy road, is the idea. I mean, even as Paul wrote this, Timothy, he is, rather, in prison. Right? In, in chapter 1 and verse 15, he informed Timothy that not only is he in prison, but all of his closest friends and colleagues in ministry had deserted him. 
And Timothy would have been well aware of the hardships the Apostle Paul faced as he traveled into city after city and go to, would go into the synagogue and be stoned. In fact, one of those cities was the city of Lystra, which was Timothy's hometown. Timothy likely would have been there when the Apostle Paul in Acts 14.19 proclaimed the gospel, fulfilled his ministry, and the Jews from Antioch traveled to Lystra and stoned him and drug him out of the city because they thought he was dead. Timothy would have been well aware of that. He would have known of Paul's experiences that Paul details in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 when Paul writes, Are they servants of Christ? I more so. In far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and in hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. This is Paul's hardship, and Timothy would have been well aware of it. Now, this is not a comparison game here. And Paul is not saying, this is, what I just read is from 2 Corinthians. So Paul's not saying, oh, Timothy, you think you have it bad? Well, look at this. And let me just read off for you what I've experienced. But when Paul tells Timothy, suffer with me, endure hardship with me, Timothy would have immediately remembered his mentor. He would have immediately remembered all the suffering, all the hardship, all the difficulty that the Apostle Paul had experienced. But somehow, here's Timothy in the midst of his ministry, and he's faced with what seemed to be mountains of difficulty. And this is the way it goes for us, right? Our challenges, our problems are the biggest ones. Right? Everyone else's problems, uh, that's not to, so bad. But for me, this is the big one. And here is Timothy weakening because of the difficulties of the church he's serving at. And Paul says, suffer with me, Timothy. Remember what this is about. Remember what you should be expecting. Somehow, Timothy, it seems, had, had begun to think, perhaps, that he was the exception to the rule. Uh, that maybe Paul had to suffer, but for Timothy, it, it, it maybe shouldn't be as bad. Now, of course, I don't know what Timothy was thinking, but we do see here that Timothy needed to be reminded of something that he had apparently forgotten. And that is that the call to be a Christian is the call to experience hardship. Timothy needed to have his expectations readjusted. He needed to be reminded that Jesus told his followers that if they follow him, life will be smooth and easy. No. Timothy needed to be reminded that Jesus told his followers, in this world you will have trouble. Uh, Timothy needed to be reminded that Jesus said, if they've called the master of the house Beelzebub, the prince of demons, 
how much more will they malign the servants in his house? And if they treated Jesus this way, how much more willingly will they mistreat his underlings? And remember, Jesus also had told his followers, whoever would come after me, they need to take up their cross and follow me. In another place, in Luke 14, Jesus told his disciples, Christians, or would-be Christians rather, that they needed to count the cost. The idea was that they needed to think carefully and count the cost before they just started following Jesus. They needed, they needed to count the cost and not just follow the hype of the moment. And here's Jesus. He's doing ministry. Everyone is attracted to him. And all these people come to him and they want to follow him and think, oh, he's going to heal me of this and that and make my life easy. And Jesus says, oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. If you're going to follow me, you have to first take up a cross. Right? So take up your electric chair and follow me. And if you're going to follow me, you've, you also need to count the cost. You need to realize that you are not going to be living on a bed of ease here. Right? Life is going to be hard for you, and it's going to be difficult. Right? No, no um, architect decides he wants to build an, uh, a tower and doesn't count the cost and gather the material before he starts laboring to build the tower. No general or king says, I'm going to go out and fight another king without counting the cost calculating how many soldiers do I have, how many do they have. And this was Jesus' point. If you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to consider what it is that you are actually doing. You need to think carefully about what it means to follow a Lord and a Master who was crucified at the hands of wicked men. And I think all of this comes down to Jesus trying to reorient and make sure people that follow him would have proper expectations. That they would have expectations that meet reality. And the same is true for us today. We know the pain of having an expectation and then hitting reality, and it's much different. And that's true with you know, coming home from work. Your expectations are that there will be peace aplenty, and it's not there. Um, and there will be quietness, and it's not there. You know, sometimes we can have diluted expectations. We've got to, we, we need to labor to make sure our expectations meet reality. And this is what Paul is doing for Timothy here. He wants to bring him into line with, or really it's not bring him into line, it's to remind him of what Timothy already knew. Timothy, you knew when you decided to follow Christ, you knew when you decided to follow me, that you were following a guy that they stoned and drug out of your city. But what did you think you were getting into? In Acts 14.22, we're reminded that for Christians, that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. I would commend you to take that verse and, and memorize it. It's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. Acts 14.22 Because what happens in the Christian life is that when things are going well, we can forget all of those expectations that the Apostle Paul gave us, that Jesus gave us, that the Word of God gives us, that it's through many tribulations and difficulties that we will enter the kingdom of God. 
We can forget that, and we might even begin to think we're the exception to the rule. And we, we may start to think, well, Paul had to suffer. Timothy had to suffer. Other people have had to suffer. But somehow, I'm just, you know, I'm getting by without the difficulties that everyone else is facing. And then all of a sudden, boom, here comes the trial. And you're knocked off your feet. And you're knocked on your face. Until you remember that God told you that it was through many trials and tribulations that you must enter the kingdom of God. I remember when my dad died in April of 2017. I was home uh, playing with Abram, and I got a phone call from my mom that dad was at a wedding, and the weather turned really quickly. And the next thing they knew, everyone was taking shelter from a powerful tornado and my dad didn't make it out. I remember when I got that phone call, I just sank down like you do when you receive that kind of news. And I scooped up Abram into my arms. And I just held him and wept and you know, tried to process the shock of all that was, I was hearing. And I, I was just thinking about the reality of what this news was bringing and the change of life and all the implications of this. And I think it was the next day that God graciously brought to mind John 16, 33, where Jesus told his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That was all that I needed. I knew that Jesus was in charge of the wind and the waves and that he could have stopped the tornado in, with a word. And Why didn't he say, peace be still to the tornado? I don't know. I don't know that. But I did know at that moment, reminded of John 16, 33, that my Lord had told me beforehand that, hey, Randy, in this world, you will have trouble. Know that up front. In this world, things will be immensely difficult. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And when I remembered that passage, when the Spirit of God brought that to bear on my situation and on my heart, all of a sudden, my expectations were reoriented. And it wasn't, why didn't you stop it? It was, you're in charge. You're in charge. And you told me it was going to be hard. And I can trust you. And this is what God does. But often, He graciously comes to us in our trial. But often what happens is, the trial throws us off so much because we're living with the wrong set of expectations. And we think, oh, it's going to be okay. Somehow, John 16, 33 is not true for me, right? I'm not going to have troubles in this world, and I'm just getting by, and the, you know, I'm walking through the meadows, and the butterflies are flying, and all is well in my world. And all it takes is a phone call to change that and to remind you of Jesus' words. In this world, you will have trouble. But you will do well, and I will do well, if we anticipate the troubles of life. 
And this is what Paul was trying to do. And I'm not talking about in, in specifics. You, you don't know what God has for you. But you do know that he's told you, through many tribulations you will enter the kingdom of God. And so Paul here in this passage, he's, he's setting out to reorient Timothy so that he will have the right expectations about life. And he gives him three analogies to get his thinking straight about what it's like to live as a Christian in a fallen, broken world. Three realities, three analogies, rather. And the first analogy is in verse 3, verses 3 to 6, or rather, verses 3 to 4. And that, that is the analogy of a soldier. Look at verse 3. He says, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If Timothy is going to be faithful, if you're going to be faithful, you need to conceive of yourself as a soldier in active service for the Lord. Is that how you think of yourself, Christian? The mindset the Christian needs is the mindset of a soldier engaged in active service for the Lord. If we're going to honor the Lord and make it through this dark, difficult world, we've got to remember we are called soldiers. Now, there are a lot of lessons we can draw from that metaphor of soldiering, but Paul points out three, three lessons, three points that Paul makes first in verse 3. The soldier's life is full of challenges and difficulties, which is why Paul says, endure hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I mean, we're talking about warfare here. The Christian is engaged in a spiritual war. You are, as a Christian, engaged in a spiritual war. And if you're here and you're not a believer, you are also in a war. You just are enslaved and captured by the enemy until the Lord comes and sets you free. And he will do that for you if you call out to him. But if you're a Christian and you're here, you have to remember that you are engaged in a spiritual war. And the Bible says that that war is with the devil, according to Ephesians 6, 11. That war is with the world system that's hostile to God. And we're at war with our own sinful flesh. So the world, the flesh, and the devil are all against us. That is the enemy that we fight against. And we live our lives in the midst of this war, day in, day out. And what's required of us, if we're going to serve as a faithful soldier, is that we live with a wartime mentality. Often, we want to live with a peacetime mentality, but soldiers don't live that way. Right? Soldiers live with the understanding that they are engaged in a military operation for whatever authority is above them. The Christian needs to live every day, every moment, as if we are engaged in a military operation for the king. He's the one who's in charge, and we are his soldiers, deployed in the world to fight and win a war 
for the king and his kingdom. Now that requires you to have a soldier's mindset. Now just think about your life for a moment. Think about the past week. Did you have a soldier's mindset this past week? Do you have a soldier's mindset this morning? Are you living currently as a soldier for Christ? Do you live daily with a wartime mentality or do you live with a peacetime mentality? I think about expectations. You're a soldier in the Lord's army and you have the mentality that it's peacetime. You go walking down the road, all is well, and you think, man, all is right in my world, everything's okay, look at the peace around me. And then all of a sudden, bullets start flying at you, and, and you lose your mind, right? You run, you're scared, uh, your weapons are down, you have no idea, you forget that you're in a war, right? You don't go tromping through the streets when there's a, a, a street fight happening, Right? You're aware that there's a war happening, and I better be careful. I better be on guard. I better be engaged, and I better have my weapons ready. There's a book called The Christian in Complete Armor by a Puritan named William Gurnall. And this is how he describes the Christian life. There is no duty in a Christian's whole course of walking with God or acting for God, but is lined with many difficulties which shoot like enemies through the hedges at him while he is marching towards heaven, so that he is put to dispute every inch of ground as he goes. It feels like that sometimes, doesn't it? It's because that's the way it is. Right? Every step you take, there's enemy arrows coming from the hedges. This is reality, and I'm afraid that too often we live with a peacetime mentality And when the arrows start flying out of the hedges, we are shocked and run and hide and we don't take up arms and fight. We we live with a peacetime mentality and therefore we're not ready for war. We're expecting a vacation and not a fight. So we need, as Christians, to live with a wartime mentality and have wartime expectations. Okay, so take that and do an inventory of your heart. Am I living every day of my life with wartime expectations? Or am I living with vacation expectations? Second, in verse 4, Paul says that a good soldier needs to narrow his focus. So he's identifying a couple of features about soldiering for Christ. The first being, you need to have the right expectations. It's hard, it's difficult, it's not easy. And the second feature he underlines is that the soldier needs to have a very narrow focus. Look at verse 4. He says, No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. In other words, the good soldier is focused on the reality of the raging war around him, and he doesn't get entangled in the affairs of everyday life. That's, those are civilian affairs. Right? He knows that he's a soldier, and he can't get sucked into the civilian affairs 
that are pulling his and pulling him and vying for his attention. Now we live in a world full of distractions. Isn't that true? It's a lot like Pilgrim in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress as he treks through Vanity Fair. If you haven't read that, you should go read that. You know, he's pulled, and the temptation is, oh, come do this, come do this thing, get, get, come join us here. And all the crowds uh, berate Pilgrim and Faithful for not joining in. But they have a focus. They understand that they can't get pulled into civilian affairs. Civilian affairs or affairs of everyday life is the way that it reads. These are any, any activities, anything that would distract, distract you from the mission that God has given you as an individual Christian. Now, I know you and I know myself. I know you because I know myself. And you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And I would venture to guess that if you were to do a diagnostic of your life right now, you would find yourself entangled in all sorts of civilian affairs. And what these do is they pull you away from the mission of God. And I would encourage you, if you're going to be a a strong Christian, if you're going to be faithful for the Lord, you have got to block out these affairs, these affairs of daily life, civilian affairs, and have the focus of a soldier. And then the third feature that Paul points out about soldiering for Christ is about the soldier's ultimate objective. And he says... In verse 4, so that, here's the point of all the soldier's work, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's the soldier's objective, to please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Now that's a very interesting language. He doesn't say to please the general. He could have said that. He doesn't say to please the king. But he says to please whom? The one who enlisted him as a soldier. In other words, what he's saying here is that the soldier's aim is to please the one who recruited him into the army. The objective for the soldier is to please that person. The person who came to him and said, come and fight for me. The soldier's M.O. is to please that person. Paul uses similar language, this language of recruitment or enlistment in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. So flip over there with me real quick. I want you to see that. And just to preface as you turn there, he, he's not talking about salvation here. Right? He's, he's thinking about sanctification and service for the Lord. And when Paul thinks about that, he thinks in terms of having been recruited or enlisted by the king for his army. First Timothy 1.12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me 
because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. That's interesting. He doesn't say because he came to me while I was in the depths of my sin and did what I could never do. It's really interesting. Now, he's not talking about salvation. I'll say that again. But when Paul thinks about his role in the Lord's army, he sees it as the Lord coming to him, seeing that he was faithful, meaning that he would have been reliable. Um, He would have had some consistency about him. And the Lord says, I'm going to take you, Paul, and put you into my service. Right? This is a sovereign recruitment. Again, this is not salvation. This is the ministry. This is the work that God has given Paul to do. So Paul then was put into this service by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That's the idea in our text in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you were a Christian, you were recruited into the Lord's army by the Lord himself. You were enlisted as a soldier because Jesus came to you, he gave you life, and then he recruited you into his army. Now, your objective is to be a good soldier for the general. Which is why the mentality and the expectation that you need is a wartime mentality. If you're going to be a good soldier for the king, for the general, you better start thinking like a soldier. Every Christian has been put into service by Jesus. We serve by his authority and we serve for his good pleasure. He is the general and he is the king. The Christian takes his cues from him and their objective is to please him and to bow to him Whatever the general brings. All right? This has serious implications in your life. If Jesus is the general, then that means that he places his soldiers at whatever field or at whatever position on the battlefield that he desires. Every opportunity to serve Him, every opportunity, every ministry, every family uh, trial, every family ministry you have, public ministry you have, every, every moment of your life is the King, the General, placing you on this part of the battlefield by His own authority. God is the one who gives us our assignments. That assignment might be a unruly child that some people have down the hall right now. That assignment might be a difficult co-worker. That assignment might be some sin that is plaguing you that you, can't over, you seem to not be able to overcome. You have to believe that God has placed you where you are and will give you the strength to do what you need to do to win the victory. He is the general. He places you, soldier, wherever he wants you. Your job is not to argue with him about your assignment. But your job is to say, sir, yes, sir. And often I think we fail to have joy and contentment in our lives because we want to be the general of the Lord's army. And there is only one general in the Lord's army. And it is not you. It is 
our Lord Jesus. All right, we often want to call the shots, but if you learn to live as a private in his army, as a soldier, a lowly soldier receiving your orders from above, you will find renewed strength and confidence to do whatever mission the Lord sets you to do. Because he strengthens his servants. The war is won. At the end is decreed. You will be victorious. You may lose the battle, but the war is settled. Your job is not to win the war. That's on the Lord's hands and he's taking care of that. You have battles every day as a soldier for Christ that you fight. If you would stop arguing with him about that and just engage in the way that he wants you to, you would find your life a lot more pleasant. Now, I'm preaching that to myself as well. (laughs) I'm reminded of a story of a missionary whose husband underwent a complicated surgery and didn't make it out. And when the news arrived that this lady was now a widow, she went into her room in tears and came out after a little while with a smile saying, my assignment as his husband is now over, and now I must await my next orders from the general. That is the mentality of the faithful Christian. We don't go to the general and moan about the assignment. We say, yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, If you're going to be strong, if you're going to be faithful for the Lord, you must adopt a soldier's mentality. A a, a soldier's mentality that expects hardships, that's focused on the mission of God and not your own pleasure. Although, just as an aside, your pleasure will soar as you carry out the mission of God. So adopt a soldier's mentality that expects hardships, that's focused on the mission of God, and that remembers that the objective of it all is to please the one who so graciously has enlisted us to fight on his team. And if you will do that, you will find your spiritual vitality renewed. And you will find that you will labor earnestly for the Lord, facing whatever He brings your way, and you do so with joy that is unshakable because you are serving in the Lord's army, an army that you never, never could have earned a place in unless He, would have come, unless he came and enlisted you for that service. All right, I have a lot more I could say, but I'll stop there and we'll pick up next week. But let's pray. Father, you are faithful, and we thank you that out of your kindness, you have caused us to be born again to a living hope, and Father, that you have also called us to be soldiers for you. And Lord, we know that we could never have been good enough to have been recruited into your army on our own merit, but Lord, you came to us, you worked in us, and you accomplished this work of regeneration in us by your own effort 
apart from us. And Father, now we get the blessing of being yours. And so, Lord, we confess to you that often we forget that we are called to wage warfare and that we live with a mentality that is a peacetime mentality. So, Lord, we confess to you our sin and we ask that you would help us to have a renewed vision for living faithfully for you as a soldier of Christ. And Lord, we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.